Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. A lady had uh, asked if she could come to see me, and of course, we set up an appointment. The conversation started out relatively light, and then there was this moment when it got much more serious, and she began to pour out her heart to me. She described several conflicts she was having with other people and the confusion that she was experiencing in her own head to know how to deal with these things. She had trouble without that was causing some deep-seated tension within. And at that point, she blurted out, All I want is peace. She's not the only person that has ever said that to me. I've had others say similar similar things. Maybe you've uh, felt the same way, especially if you ever got into a conflict with another person. And all you wanted was peace in that situation, as well as peace within your own heart. So how do you get peace with other people? Is there some key to getting and keeping peace with other people. Maybe I should ask first, you ever have any conflicts with people? But I know better than to do that because that's asking the obvious. So the question is not that, it's how do you maintain peace among people? Well, I think there's a principle or two in the scripture that is as helpful in this situation as anything I know. Some of those principles are illustrated in an incident in the life of Abraham. So will you turn with me to Genesis chapter 21, and let's look at Abraham, who is now in conflict with somebody, and see how they handled it that maybe can give us some insight in how to handle our own conflicts with other people. Verse 22, 21, 22. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abram, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity. But according to the kindness that I've done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you dwell. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing, you did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. 
And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs in from my hand that they may be a witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech arose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a terroric tree at Beersheba, and they called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Interesting passage of scripture. We have uh, encountered Abimelech before in chapter 20, and now we see him again in chapter 21, and this time he and Abraham are having a bit of a difficulty. This passage starts out with Abimelech making a request of Abraham. The second movement in the passage is Abraham rebuking Abimelech. So they obviously got a little conflict going here, and it ends with the fact that they got this all settled, and Abraham settled down and became a resident in the land. So let's start by looking at the request, and then we'll look at the rebuke, and then we'll see the resolution to all of this at the end of the chapter. All right, verse 22. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in everything you do. Now, Abimelech, we've met before, Phicol is new. That is probably a title rather than a name, sort of like Pharaoh is the title and not a personal name. And the very fact that he's here seems to give this uh, incident uh, a little more importance. This is a big deal. The commander of the army came, uh, kind of thing, so to speak. But what's interesting is um, he says, God is with you in all that you do. Now, if you will recall uh, the chapter 20 incident, uh, what happened is Abraham got to Abimelech's territory and said to Sarah, now tell him you're my sister, not my wife, and Abimelech put her in his harem which could have caused all kinds of problems. And God appears to him in a dream, and Abimelech gives Sarah back to Abraham, and <clears throat> they resolved that conflict. In that story, Abraham, uh, Abimelech, I should say, is, uh, is informed that Abraham is a prophet. So he's had an encounter with Abraham prior to this, and he concludes from that, boy, God's with you. Uh, he appeared to me in a dream to protect your wife. You're a prophet. And you'll recall Abimelech got sick. 
And Abraham prayed for him, and he got well. And that wasn't just to Abimelech, it was to his whole household. So there were a number of things going on that convinced Abimelech that the Lord was with him. Let's just stop there for a minute. Let me ask you a question. If somebody investigated your life by going to people who knew you, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? In other words, would, would, would your friends or neighbors say, boy, God is really with you. Would that, would that happen? Um, I heard a story recently, and I hesitate to even refer to this, but um, a, a nationally known figure who has uh, touted himself as an evangelical uh, and a Christian, made a lot of noise about that, as a matter of fact, um, started saying something about that, and I know some behind-the-scenes stuff, and the behind-the-scenes stuff was uh, an office he worked at, and I know somebody who knows somebody who worked in the office, so you can see how reliable this information <laughs> is, third-hand. But it was fairly reliable because of the sources, and that person said it was a shock to the people in that office that he was a Christian. They didn't know that. <laughs> well, Abimelech knew, and he knew because of all the things that had happened in his relationship with Abraham. So I just thought it'd be interesting to ask, do people in your life know? I mean, people not just in church or your immediate family, but uh, would there be enough evidence to convict you if you were charged? At any rate, he starts out by saying, I recognize that God's with you. Now, based on that, I want to make a request. Look at verse 23. Now, therefore, since God is with you, Swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I've done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. Now this is really fascinating. Do you remember what Abraham did? I just mentioned it. He lied to Abimelech. So on the one hand, I think this is really fascinating, Abimelech recognizes that, a that the Lord is with Abraham in everything he does. And on the other hand, he says, and by the way, you're very capable of lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I want you to swear that, that by your God that you won't deal with me or my household or my future descendants in a, in a false way, that you'll deal with us honestly and uprightly. And then he says, I was kind to you. Now, what's he talking about? Well, some of the things I've just mentioned and more. When he had the dream, he gave Sarah back to Abraham. Uh, he didn't have to do that unless the Lord scared him to death, which is probably the case. But he did more than that. He showered Abraham with gifts. And he gave him land to raise his herds and flocks on. So he had been very, very kind to Abraham. As a matter of fact, there's a long list of gifts in chapter 20 
that um, we know that Abimelech gave to Abraham. So he says, look, I've been kind to you, and I just want you to reciprocate. That's all. That's my request, that, that you deal with me as kindly as I have dealt with you. But like I say, what I think is so fascinating is that um, on the one hand, he says, God's with you in everything you do, you lying fellow you. <laughs> and he knew both sides. That's a fascinating kind of testimony, isn't it? So here's what Abraham says. Verse uh, 24, very short, sweet, and simple. I will swear. All right. Uh, from here on out, I, I will do that. I'll deal honestly with you, and there won't be any more conflict. We'll be at peace. All of which leads me to say that Abimelech is requesting honesty and peace. Now, that's basically what's going on here, that we not have any more conflicts between us. I don't want you to lie to me anymore. I don't want to be any more conflicts. I just want there to be peace. So this leads me to make the simple suggestion that he requested peace and that uh, we should do the same. There's a verse in Romans that says, As much as lieth within you, be at peace with all men. I think that one of the great virtues of a mature Christian is they seek peace. The fruit of the Spirit is Love, joy, peace. And perhaps that is internal peace, but there's also a peace within you and also with others outside of you. And if there's the peace within you, you will seek the peace with those outside of you. There's a verse in Colossians that says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Remember that? The Greek word translated rule means let the, let the peace of God be the umpire. If there's any tension between you and somebody else, peace ought to rule. So he simply says, I swear there will be peace, indicating to me that both of these men were seeking peace and we should do the same. Now let me uh, probe that just a bit. What's the alternative? Well, very often when there's a conflict between two people, one of them has been hurt. And when somebody gets hurt, I never cease to marvel at this, they want to see the other person hurt. Uh, many years ago, I was in a library, and I was studying, and I took a break. This is before computers. Uh, and, and I walked just to take a break, and I walked past a, 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 a row of books, and I just stopped to look at books. I was taking a break. And I saw a book that said, Hurt People Hurt People. That was the title of the book. It's really true, isn't it? And if they don't hurt people, they want to. So here's what's going on. You either seek peace or very often you seek punishment. Now, you wouldn't say it like that. Nobody says, I want you punished, although I've had people tell me that. What they say is this, I just want justice. 
which is another way of saying they hurt me and I want them hurt. I just want justice. I want my pound of flesh. I want my day in court. Uh, they hurt me and I want them hurt. I want them punished. Now, the downside to that is if what you're seeking is justice, then what's going to happen is that's going to brew and stew in your heart until you get angry, bitter, resentful, and want retaliation. So what that is ultimately going to do is make you a miserable person. That's not the way to have inner peace, and it's certainly not the way to have peace with other people. Or, on the other hand, you could uh, seek peace. And that might mean some compromise. Might mean a little humility. Might mean a whole bunch of things. But the point is that you would seek peace, and the result of that could be not only peace between the two of you, but peace inside your heart as well. So I think the first part of this passage is simply saying, Abimelech requests that we, we get this settled. We not have any differences between us. Uh, we've been through that. We don't need to do that anymore. And both men expressed a desire to live in peace. All right. End of story, right? I mean, they wanted peace and they agreed to live in peace, right? The plot thickens. Look at verse 25. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech. Whoa! The first part of the passage uh, is Abimelech made a request, verse 23. And the second part of the passage, Abraham rebukes him. Why? Well, what's going on? He says, well, now that you brought up all these tensions we have, all these, well, I got a beef. And he says this, um, look at verse 25. Because of the well of water which your servants seized, that they stole. We had this well. We dug the well. It was ours. And they came along and took it away from us. And Abimelech said, I don't know what you're talking about. That's the Kokoros paraphrase. I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor have I heard it until right now. I didn't know anything about this until just now, and you came and told me. So, uh, that, now this, 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 this is really critical. Uh, what we need to do, if we're going to have peace, is communicate with one another. Amen. As long as this was an an unresolved difference brewing and stewing in Abraham's soul. Uh, there was some tension within, and of course, there was a problem between the two of them. So there needs to be some communication. But let me go one step further. I think there needs to be confrontation. I mean, this is pretty bold. I mean, he's just flat out confronting him. 
Now, you, you want to resolve it so that we don't have any more conflicts? All right, there's an, issue, an unresolved issue we've got to deal with. And he confronts him with it. So write this down. You want peace? You've got to seek it. It's got to be a priority. I'm going to, as much as lieth within me, I'm going to live at peace. And one great key to obtaining that is confrontation. And let me just tell you, most people hate that. They don't want to, they hate uh, confrontation with a passion. So they stuff it. They don't bring it up, and it festers. So let me tell you this. They appease the situation. An appeaser is a troublemaker. And a confronter is a peacemaker. Write that down. An appeaser is a troublemaker. A confronter is a peacemaker. Now let me tell you how to learn that. Many years ago, I met a pastor who was a senior pastor of a church, and he had a staff member that he did not get along with. And that staff member happened to be, in those days, the song leader, the choir director of the church. So the people loved him. But there was great tension between the senior pastor and the minister of music. And the senior pastor, rather than dealing with it, didn't. He just let it go. And there was issue after issue that came up, and he did not deal with it. And, and it finally just erupted. Now, it was all over by the time I got on the scene. And the pastor was telling me about it. And this is what he said. I should have confronted the issue when it first started, and I let it go. And the longer I let it go, the harder it became to deal with it. And then he made this statement. I wrote it down. I've never forgotten it. An appeaser is a troublemaker. A confronter is a peacemaker. And it was so well-crafted, I thought, wow. And I think that's basically what Jesus taught. Go deal with the situation. Another way to say the same thing is, by the way, this works in marriage. This works in all relationships, but especially marriage. Uh, you just need to keep short accounts. Amen. And if you don't, they'll, they'll build and fester, and they'll, you're, just, you're, you're kicking the can down the road. And there's gonna, it's going to cause trouble down the road. So... Uh, one of the great keys to having a peaceful relationship with people is confrontation. He rebuked him and said, we got it, now we're going to deal with all this, then we're going to deal with all this. You owe me. Uh, your servants stole the well. And Abimelech says, I don't even know what you're talking about. Why didn't you come? You didn't come tell me this. Come communicate. Come confront the issue. Don't deal with me like this. And this is what this is all about. They're clearing the air. So, uh, we are told in verse 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And obviously, the, um, 
the uh, deal is they made a covenant to live in peace. We're going to make a covenant, we're going to live together in the same part of the land, and we're not going to have these conflicts anymore. That's what's going on here. Maybe you could just write that down as one of the principles of maintaining peace, and that is that there be a clear-cut arrangement. You want to prevent the conflict? Then there needs to be a clear-cut arrangement between the two of you. I think this causes more problems than we could ever imagine. You get into a relationship with somebody, it could be a business relationship, it could be two friends doing something together, and you don't spell out at the beginning who is going to do what. And when that happens, there is conflict. The greater the detail of the agreement, the less likely there is to be trouble. The fewer the details in the arrangement, the more likely it is that there's going to be tension and conflict and trouble. So lay it all out. I have been involved in, um, as a pastor in renting the facilities to another congregation. Uh, the present one not considered. That, that This didn't happen with them. But with some others. Matter of fact, there was another congregation that was renting the facility when I came here, and that was one of the most interesting situations of all. But in a previous church, I, we did the same thing. And, and the simple problem was that assumptions were made that were never spelled out at the beginning. And one of the things I learned is that situations came up and I wasn't involved in either one of those cases of making the arrangement from the beginning. I inherited the situation. And because it wasn't spelled out, then there was all kinds of confusion later. And if they had just simply spelled it out. Same thing happens if you own rental property and you rent to somebody. And you, you lay out the rules up front and at the beginning. Many, 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 many decades ago, I actually owned a rental house. And one of the things I learned is, I will never do that again. <laughs> uh, and, and actually, I didn't intend to do it. I bought a house, and it happened to have a, something like a guest house on it, and we rented it. And that was not my intent. And because I was so absorbed with ministry, at the most unopportune moment, something could go wrong in that place, and I'd have to go deal with it. And that was one of the first times I learned, if you're going to put somebody back there, spell it all out up front so there's no problem. So that's what they did. They made a covenant. They laid it all out. And then uh, this uh, gets extended it says in verse 28, And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves, and then Abimelech asked him, What in the world does that mean? And he said, verse 30, That you take these seven from my herd, and they may be a witness that I've dug this well. See what he's doing? I'm going I'm to pay you for the well. But we're going to have a clear-cut agreement now. This well belongs to me. And that's the way you prevent peace. Uh, and in some situations, I highly recommend you put it on paper. But all this is saying is uh, that uh, I now own the well. We got that clear? We're going to 
make, we're going to spell all this out. We're going to communicate. We're going to confront the issues. We're going to make a covenant. We're going to settle all this so that we don't have any more conflict. Uh, verse 31, therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Beersheba means well of seven. So thus, verse 32, they made a covenant at Beersheba. And Abimelech arose with Phicol, the commander of the army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a uh, terramarch uh, risk tree at Beersheba, and they called on the name of the Lord, an everlasting God. That tree, by the way, is an evergreen tree, and that's symbolic of the fact that um, the Lord is uh, going to, the everlasting God is going to give us this land as an everlasting uh, property. All right, uh, let me lay out what's going on here. Uh, first, there's the request. Uh, make, don't, don't, let's don't have any more conflict. Then there's the rebuke. Well, let's settle the issue that we haven't dealt with. And what goes on beginning in verse 33 is Abraham takes up residence in the land. And the first thing he does is he plants an evergreen tree. Uh, I, I, this is symbolic. Uh, God is giving us this land. Now, this is the first time he gets a part of it and he has legal rights to it. This is the, God gave it to him way back in chapter 12, and he's been sojourning there as a visitor. This is the first time he actually gets the land. So verse 34 says, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Now what I want you to notice is the author is taking pains to point out that this was the land of the Philistines. He mentions it twice in this passage. Um, so he mentions it in verse 32, and he mentions it in verse 34. So Abraham is in the land of the Philistines. In other words, he doesn't own the land yet, but he's going to plant a tree that's an evergreen tree, symbolically saying, this land is coming to me someday. Um, so he planted a tree as a symbolic act, to, as a memorial to what's going on. Years ago, I stumbled across the birthplace of Harry Truman. It's out in the middle of nowhere in Missouri. And so I stopped and took a quick tour. It's a little, very small house, as I recall. This was many years ago. And one of the things they, they told me is that when Harry Truman was born, his father planted a tree. And when I visited the place, it was still there. As he planted a tree to commemorate the birth of his son. So when my mother passed away, I planted a tree. It's in front of my office. And when Patricia's mother died, we planted another tree. Uh, so there's two trees in front of my office, uh, and, and that all came from me seeing Harry Truman's father planting a tree to commemorate his birth. So planting a tree is a good idea. You want to commemorate something? Go plant a tree somewhere. Now, uh, this passage says that, um, verse 33, 
There Abraham called on the Lord. Now, we've, we've seen this little expression before, called on the Lord, and it sounds like it's prayer, but many Bible teachers say that's true, but it probably includes proclamation. That he is calling on the Lord, and he's proclaiming the Lord. So uh, that, I think, is here. But the real point is, uh, he's there. Uh, he's got a, now, for the first time, he's got a legal right to a small portion of the land, a well. Uh, but, and he's going to live there permanently, but he doesn't own the whole thing yet, and he, but he's trusting the Lord to give to him what the Lord promised. All right, very simply, I think this passage is obviously a conflict between these two, and more than that, it's the resolution of the conflict. So Abraham and Abimelech made a covenant to live in peace. And then Abraham confronted Abimelech to ensure the peace. And then he used the peace to call on the Lord, to use that as a place to serve the Lord. So very simply, believers need to make up their mind they're going to seek peace, do things like Keep short accounts and communicate with one another. If there's a problem, confront it early and make an agreement and spell out the details so that there be as less tension and difference as possible. So, great lesson in living in peace. So let me uh, put it like this. If you have a conflict with somebody you have three choices. Number one is you can ignore the problem. I think I spelled that out a minute ago. Uh, ignoring the problem is being an appeaser, and an appeaser causes problems. They're troublemakers. The trouble brews and stews. That's not going to solve the problem. The second thing you can do, and this is what everybody does today, is they go to court. I, I, I mean, I, I'm just flabbergasted at the things people go to court over. Uh, you got a problem? Real simple, I'll sue. They sue at the drop of a hat over every conceivable kind of thing. Uh, matter of fact, I'm not going to go there. Uh, just all kinds of crazy things. People are suing. You, you know, I, I remember George Bush the first. Uh, make, make, as he was campaigning for president, talking about the fact we have too much litigation. We're a litigious society, and we need to, we need to curtail that somehow. Uh, that never took off, and it's only gotten worse since. That's the second option, go to court. And the third option is you simply follow some biblical principles. In 1 Corinthians, Paul chided the believers at Corinth, because they were taking each other to court. And he says to them, don't you know that you're going you're gonna to pass judgment on the angels? Uh, you know, you can settle this within yourselves. Don't go to court. And if necessary, suffer the wrong. 
If somebody's cheating you out of money, then suffer the wrong. Don't, don't. And that takes me back to point one. As much as lieth within you, be at peace. That's principle number one. And confront people individually. And then there's some principles in Matthew that if that doesn't work, take somebody with you. And if both of you are Christians, especially if you're Christians in the same church, uh, get the elders together. Get some people in the congregation to uh, help you resolve this. But the point is you're going to try reconciliation and not just pursue war, conflict, tension, which is only going to tear you up anyway. A number of years ago, there was a Christian organization formed. Uh, I had taken note of it and took some notes concerning it. And as um, I was thinking about teaching this tonight, I actually Googled this and was unable to find it. Now, admittedly, I didn't spend a lot of time doing it because I didn't have it, but uh, what they were doing is still a great illustration of what I think needs to be done. So I don't know whether this organization still exists or not, but the idea is worth talking about. It was called the Christian Coalition Service. It was made up, as I recall, of attorneys. And their purpose was to arbitrate disputes that might otherwise end up in court. That was their whole purpose. One article I read, and this was like 25 years ago, listed the kinds of things they dealt with. A man blamed his accountant for a $20,000 investment that went bad. That one involved money, and they were willing to sit down with these two parties and try to work it out. Another case involved a young mother who gave up her newborn for adoption, and changed her mind, and wanted the child back from the adoptive family. A church elder was upset with a neighbor whose dog barked at night. And then the article said, but most of their cases was marital disputes. But what got my attention about all this is the attitude of who is at fault and who gets money was secondary in that situation to the spiritual rebuilding of shattered relationships. Want to think biblically? Then what's more important than the money or the barking dog or whatever else you're squabbling over is rebuilding the shattered relationships. As a result, this article said, people often ended up friendly and decided that whatever they were fighting about in the first place was not all that important. That doesn't happen in court, where one party, quote, wins. Usually, the attorneys and the parties are forever hostile to each other. So... Want to live in peace? Seek it. Communicate. Confront issues. Make a covenant. 
Go the scriptural route, not the secular route. Follow biblical principles, and you will live in peace. Father, thank you for the peace that you've given us with you. Thank you for the peace we have in our hearts because of that. And teach us, Father, to live in peace as much as lies within us. Teach us these principles. Give us the grace to live by them so that we can be at peace with the people in our lives. In Jesus' name.